Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. I'm the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and I am the Executive Director of the International Outreach and Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. And these two ministries are the sponsors of this program. To learn more about either, go to breadoflifeboise.org. I also want to make available to you another ministry that we have started. It's found at the website savingevangelicals.com and a new book that's written by the same title. God's Word challenges those who call themselves Christians to test themselves to see if they are in the faith. Jesus warned that many before his throne would discover that their assumptions of salvation were wrong, and he will say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. We want you and those you love to have a solid assurance of saving faith. And this book and website are designed to guide a person into a biblical confidence in their salvation, and it is meant to undermine any false confidence. So again, go to SavingEvangelicals.com to learn more and to order the book by the same name. Now today, we are finishing up a sermon entitled, The Goodness of the Law, taken from Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 14. There we learn that God's law, as it says in verse 12, is just and holy and good. It is so because it reveals the nature of a just and holy and good God. But when God reveals himself, he also brings to us the light that helps us see ourselves as we truly are. And we are not just and holy or good without him. So the law represents who God is, how holy God is, how perfect God is, how complete God is. And the law brings me before the one who inspires the law. It brings me before this holy and just and perfectly good God and calls me to respond in a way that's reflective that I am meeting him and engaging with him. That's why the law is holy, and that's why the law is just, and that's why the law is good. It brings us before a holy and just and good God. Now, listen, when you come before that God, you not only discover the essence of holiness and justice and goodness, but in His presence, you discover what is unholy and what is unjust and what is not good. And that's the other reason why the law is holy and just and good. Not only because it reveals the one who's truly holy, just, and good, because it also reveals what is not holy and what is not just, what is not good, and that's the second point. When God reveals himself, he sets light upon all the things that we suppose are in order and shows them they're not quite in order as we thought. And all the things that we suppose were our condition and our position, and we realize that's not where we're at. We're in great need. So God comes before Isaiah, the prophet, and God reveals himself to Isaiah in his holiness as he sees God in the temple in heaven and the cherubim gathering around and worshiping him and crying out, holy, 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 in, the, in God's holy presence. Isaiah sees himself, and he recognizes what's the unholy one in this place. It's himself. Woe is me, he says, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among the people of unclean lips. It's out of the heart the man speaks. He's saying, my heart is unclean. My whole life is unclean before this holy God. And, and Daniel sees God. And Daniel is, comes before the presence of God. And Daniel says when he comes in the presence of God that all his comeliness turned to corruption. In other words, all the things of his supposed splendor. Think of it. He's a leader and he's 
been elevated in the Babylonian kingdom and the Persian kingdom as well. And he sees God and he meets God and all the splendor, the regalia of his office and his position, and maybe the honor that's given to him on a regular basis, he says, becomes like spoiled ruins. God, all my comeliness became corruption in his presence. Job speaks of the time and writes of the time when God spoke to him out of the whirlwind. After God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind, Job responds on two different occasions. Job gives an initial response. God speaks a little more. Job gives further clarification. The initial response is this. Behold, I am vile. Behold, I'm vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will not proceed further. I won't say anything else. I'm vile. It's kind of like what Isaiah said. Woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. I think I'll shut my mouth. God speaks a little bit more. When God is done speaking the second time, Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. There's what the law brings you to. That's what the law did to Paul. He saw his own sinfulness. The naivety of his life was obliterated. He could no longer go along thinking that he was somehow in a suitable place and he was just the object of blessing and provision and protection and rescue. And He saw his own deep spiritual moral corruption. It was awakened within him within the law because the law brought him before God. Now this is a good thing. It's God revealing the rotten planking of our own self-confidence. It's a good thing. There was a bridge in our community that was wasting away, and there was coming a day when that bridge was going to collapse, and with it, all the automobiles that were traveling upon it, and trucks, and all the traffic that was upon it was going to collapse with it into the sea, or into a river, or into destruction. You'd want somebody running a test on that bridge. You'd want somebody to find out whether that bridge was good or not, or whether it was rotting away, and... Every single day, people are treading over some idea of their moral superior in the law, thinking that it will measure up to God, and they can prove themselves, and they can gain God's favor, and they can gain God's acceptance. They use the law as the means by which they'll gain their salvation, and then Christians come along and say, well, no, our salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. I'll receive Him alone, but I'll then follow the law, and I'll prove God that I can be holy, and I'll, I'll gain my own sanctification by following the law, and I'll just be better than other people, and I'll take my measurements, and God brings you before Himself in the law, in order to show you that you're walking on rotten planking. It's a rotten bridge you're walking over. It's going to collapse and it's going to fall. You need to put your feet firmly on the only provision, and that provision is Jesus Christ. And so, wonderfully, after God gives these laws to Moses, and he brings Israel to this reality and this understanding, Moses is then given instruction on how to construct the tabernacle where God will meet with people and how to provide the priests that will be the mediators for the people, and what are the appropriate sacrifices to be offered to atone for their sins. We look at it and say, oh, all of that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, because He's come and He tabernacles among us, and He's our priest that's our mediator between God and man, and He's the sacrifice who suffered and died for our sins, and we can lay our hands on Him. Recognize He's died for us, but how will we do it? with any true recognition unless we see our own sinfulness. Then, press in, oh, Jesus, you and you alone. 
You are my salvation, and you alone are my sanctification and holiness. And I will not go back to the law to prove myself. The law proves me, and what it proves is that I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of a Savior, and I'm in need of a sanctifier to make me holy. I'm in need of Him, because apart from Him, I'm just treading on rotten planking. So, the child goes to bed at night, and he prays for God to protect him, or her, from the evil world outside their home. He prays for God to watch over and keep them from all those bad people and bad guys, and that's all good and well. That's a good prayer for a little child to pray. But God is going to have to take that child before his law one day so that he or she will see and discover that there is much to fear in their own bed. There's much to fear in their own hearts. That the supposed goodness and fitness of themselves is not true. That they can't just blithely keep going on to live for the next day to just simply enjoy themselves. And God is just watching over them. But they need a Savior who will save them from the depth of their sins. Now, can I tell you something? Don't rush to show your children those things. Don't go and use the law as a club over their heads. Teach them the law. Give them the law. And after you teach your child the law, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say what Israel said. These are things we're going to do. They're going to say, I can do that. I'll follow those rules, and then I'll be a good boy and a good girl, and they'll toddle off from your presence. Let them do it. Give them the law, and let them toddle off with that confidence. Let them set off with that ambition. Let them skip away under the command of the law for now. But as they do, you pray that there will come a day when they see with a force that you can't create, the lawgiver, the holiness and the justice of that lawgiver, and before that law, they see their own corruption and their own sin, and they'll come to a moment when they see a holy God, and they will tremble within themselves, and all they thought about themselves, and all their naivety will die away, those sins that they had not accounted for will be made known to them and become exceedingly sinful in their eyes. And then the law, the holy and just law, will do a good thing for them. It will require them to find somebody else who has perfectly kept the law, and someone else who has met all of its demands, and someone else who would take their place and suffer for them on their account for their sins someone else to save them from the sentence of the law and live in them. Live in them the glory and the greatness and the goodness that the law represents. You pray for that. Then, in your own life, you look and see whether you're not coming before the law and defaulting back to that same naive notion. Does God, you save me that I can take him from here. You're, in a sense, living in a kind of spiritual infancy in your own Christian life. Thinking that, well, yeah, he saved me and he died for me, but now he's just my protector and my rescuer. And then I go on here and I charge ahead to show that I'm morally superior. And I can handle this myself. You need to meet the law and the lawgiver. And you need to confront the reality of it. God's holiness and God's justice. So that you're stripped away of every note of self-confidence going forward in your Christian life. So you're just trusting and clinging to the one who's given his life for you. And trusting that he'll work in and through you to bring you into his holiness. And then the law will have done a good thing for you as well. So then the law is holy. 
and the law is just, and the law is good. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. A note of reality that we must face. Oh God, how often we go back to these things you've commanded and seek to cover ourselves in those things as our standing before men and others, and even before you, as if you'll approve of us now because of what we've done. Oh God, Paul said it, he must say it. I know that that which dwells in my flesh is no good thing. My confidence before you is not in these things, but in the one who kept all these things perfectly on my behalf. My confidence is not in my performance by my own flesh and my own effort, but in the life he gives when I give up on myself and I claim him, his power, his presence, his life. Oh, God, lead me into that mature perspective and let me grow, let me grow in light of that and for our children. Mercifully take him the same way in your timing. Make your hand upon them for this purpose and this end. Show them their sinfulness, the depth of it, so they might praise and love a Savior who bore it on their behalf. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. May you never lose your regard for Christ and the primary importance of your individual delight in His fellowship. And may you share that delight with others. If you want to learn more about the ministries behind the Bread of Life radio program, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.